Finley Capital Podcast. My name is Logan Ricchetti. As always, this podcast is sponsored by the Hard Money Handbook. You can go to www.hardmoneyhandbook.com to download a free report to learn how to use hard money loans to fund your real estate deals. Also brought to you by the Facebook group, Powered by Private. If you are a real estate investor or want to learn more about how to use private capital to fund your deals or want to learn how to use your own capital to fund private deals, that's the group that you want to be in. Powered by Private on Facebook. Today, I have a special guest with me, one of my absolute favorite real estate investor operators that I've ever met. I've never actually met him, but he and I have done business together, which makes us friends. And today we are going to discuss his business operating model, some of his successful deals, and hopefully we can all learn a little bit about how a very, very successful professional real estate investor invests in real estate professionally. His name is Rob Colleen. His company's name is RDK Property Solutions. And most recently, we completed a deal at 58928 Lower Drive, Goshen, Indiana. And that's where we're going to start. Rob, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Logan. All right, let's go. Let's go from most recent to least uh, furthest in the past. Let's talk about 58928 Lower Drive. This was a deal that you just recently completed. Walk us through the mechanics of the deal. Purchase price, renovation budget, after repair value, tell us the whole story. So we just purchased that for 1055. Um, we negotiated it, I believe, off of 120. So we got it a little bit less than what they initially wanted. Our renovation budget was fifty thousand dollars. After repair value was two twenty-five. Wow, that's a slam dunk. That's a winning deal. It was a good deal. Yes. How did you find the deal and how did you negotiate that deal down to 1055 from 120? What was the, how did you handle that? It was initially 120. There were a few, few of us that looked at it. I believe like three other investors. It was an off market deal. And then the guys that were selling it actually had another house for sale that I was interested in. Went and looked at that house and basically just came to, to an agreement to buy both. Obviously they were happy to be basically get both sold at the same time. Yeah. I think when you, as a, as an investor can, solve two problems at once for one seller that puts you at an advantage when you're competing with other investors that might not be able to have that capability to handle two deals at once. That's where, you know, private lending, hard money loans can come into play. If you, if you are limited in your available capital at the time, if you're talking to a seller and you have, you know, capital available to handle two deals at once, that makes you a little bit more attractive. And I assume that helps you get a little bit more of a volume discount like you did on this one, right? That's correct. Yeah. I'm looking at a picture of this deal. It's a, a one-story house, a ranch-style house with an attached garage on it in the median price range of the market. This is literally a bread-and-butter deal. You bought it at 40% of its after-repair value. Your total investment was roughly 60% of the after-repaired value, and your scope of work was only 50000 which sounds like a lot, but really that's paint carpet, kitchen, bathroom, roof maybe. It's not a uh, structural repair usually at that level. It's a great deal. It was just a fantastic deal. Congratulations. And by the way, we're going to show the afters and the befores on this podcast too. So check, check out these after videos and pictures. They, you just did a heck of a job. Did you design this, uh, these finishes or did you have somebody help you with that? So actually my contractors helped me out a little bit with that. So I allow them to have input. Obviously I don't pick out everything all the time. If I don't like it, I just tell them, Hey, I don't like it. If I like it, I say, let's go. So <laughs> we try to make it really easy, really simple. A lot of times what I've learned is a lot of times, most of the time, I don't, I definitely don't know everything, number one. And number two, these guys have 
some really good input um, and we can utilize that. Well, to that extent, let me ask you a few questions because I'm very curious. Things like doorknobs, lock sets, deadbolts, do you have your contractors uh, provide those or do you give them some kind of specification like you're going to use quick sets or you're going to use some other brand or just just something as simple as lock sets and deadbolts? How do you handle those on multiple deals? Because I know you're doing a lot of deals at once. Honestly, we, we honestly purchase from Amazon. We prefer certain lock sets just because we know what works, what's worked for us in the past. We switched to black maybe a year or two ago and to a specific brand. Looks good. And the guy's have success in installing them. Okay. So when you go to, you go to Amazon for that, you save a few dollars from, from Lowe's or Home Depot by doing it that route. Correct. Yeah. No, the bigger purchases, obviously we go to the big stores to make, but we found that a lot of the, the smaller purchases such as doorknobs and lighting, we can just get from Amazon. We get it the next day. It's convenient. We can just drop it off when we're the, at the job site visiting and uh, which you just try to keep it simple. I think another nice thing about that is you have that order saved in your in your cart, your history, right? So you can just use the same order over and over again. That's a nice little idea. If you're doing five, six, seven jobs or say 10, 20 jobs a year like you do, it's easy to, to lose track of what you purchased with which unit, which door, and and you find yourself making the same decisions over and over again. So if you can eliminate those those repeating decisions, I think that's a good thing to do, especially if you're doing more than a couple of jobs a year. I like that. What about paint? Do you use the same paint palette every time or do you mix it up every time? How do you handle that? That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, I think we go back and forth between two or three different paint palettes. And and my preference is actually just to stay with the same paint palette, but I seem to get convinced once in a while. That's why we have three palettes. Otherwise, I'd only have one. Now, do your uh, contractors pick those or do you pick? Do you maintain control of that decision? I may, for the most part, I maintain control of that. Yes. How many deals do you typically handle at a time? Between five and six. All right. So are all these projects local to your market where you live? Are you able to be on site locally for each project? They're all local. They're all within 20, 30 minutes of each other at most. Uh, I, I visit each job site every single day just to keep updated. I feel that it's a also a camaraderie thing. Uh, when you go to the job site, the guys appreciate seeing you. They can voice any concerns, any issues that have arise within a day. I'd like to highlight what Rob just said. Rob has five or six jobs going at any given time, and he's on every single job site every single day. That is, in my mind, the most fundamental reason that Rob is successful flipping multiple houses at a time. You have got to be on the job site on a regular basis. Rob is there every day. If there's no progress going on on job number four on Tuesday, Rob knows that on Tuesday, not next Thursday. He didn't lose seven or nine or 10 or 12 business days waiting for a contractor to show back up because he knows if there's a problem immediately. How, how much of your project duration do you think you cut by being on the job site every day? What percentage? If, if, a, if a project should have taken what normally would take 90 days, how many days do you think it would have taken if you, if you only showed up once a week? Could be 120 days. So you're saying it could be 33% longer. Could be potentially, yes. Let's say your average cost of capital is a thousand a month per job. That's six thousand dollars that you're wasting. You're literally burning it in capital cost, in holding costs, taxes, utilities, insurance, risk, liability, changing market conditions, all the things that can affect the success of a real estate transaction. You can mitigate or minimize those risks by being on the job site every day. I, I can't applaud you enough for that. I think that's the most wonderful thing that you do. I've seen, so, I've watched four or five of your projects. I know I'm not involved in all of them, but every time 
I make a loan with Rob's company, I am just blown away at the efficiency, the professionalism. And so that's part of why I asked you to, to join me on this conversation, because I, I just want to learn more about how you do this so well. Can you give us some tips on how you are able to maintain this momentum at scale over time? I think a, a lot of it is to do with relationships. So your relationships with your contractors, um, you, you have to, not necessarily that you're, you're friends with everybody, but you have a good relationship. We, I don't come into the, the job site and pick apart everything every day. I come in at, with the attitude as, hey, what do you need? Is there anything that's come up? Is there anything that I can do for you to make it easy? We, we want to have that kind of relationship. We don't want to have the attitude that I'm going to come in and nitpick everything apart. That doesn't need to be done. We can nitpick stuff at the end, um, but knowing that during those, if we're working on a, a job for four, five, six weeks, we know that during that time, there's going to be periods where it's dirty, it's messy, or we, we have spots that, that aren't done or being worked on. So a lot of it's relationship based and, and that guys want to, to know that they're not going to be yelled at on a weekly basis. The guys that, that do work with me, I feel, feel like they're almost like family, uh, especially if you've worked with them for several years. Uh, you get to know them, you get to know how many kids they have or where they live, what they enjoy after work, why they do what they do. So I, I feel that there is much more to the real estate game than just coming in, getting in and out and making money. I can't stress this enough. I, I'm just imagining seeing Rob's truck pull up in the driveway and being a worker on the site, being a contractor on the site. And if if you have a good feeling when you see that truck pull up as opposed to a, a bad feeling, that makes a big difference on, on the overall quality of the job, the craftsmanship, the worksmanship, the effort that they put in. If you've ever been on a construction crew like I have, you know that it's it either goes one of two ways. They either go above and beyond because they respect the person that they're that they're working with, or they cut every corner because they don't care. It's one or the other, and a lot of that mentality can be uh, influenced by the way you treat your your team. And so I think what you're doing there is is brilliant. There, not just for you know selfish reasons, but for altruistic reasons as well. It's great to take care of everybody, make everybody feel included. And I think when you do that. You get that uh, you get that team that goes the extra mile when you're not around. That's important. And also, I know what what it feels like to have somebody come in and say, "Hey, what do you need? What do you need to feel more supported? What what can I bring to the job? Or what can I help you with? What decision can I help you with? Or, you know, what can I do to help you?" And that servant mentality, I think, goes a long way when you're when you're managing uh, construction teams because it's hard to manage construction. It's hard to get people to care anywhere near as, near as much as you do. It's hard to get them to go the extra mile. And it's really important for you as the contractor that you have people on your job sites that, that have that right mentality. Because if they don't, your reputation will suffer later when, when somebody finds something that was overlooked or, or covered up or whatever. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's Rob's name on these houses. But if he can have crews that are bought into the concept, then they benefit because he will give them more work. He will pay them better. He will incentivize them more. He will include them on, you know, the success of the projects in, in some form or another. And then they will benefit as well. Their families will benefit. How do you compensate your contractors? How do you pay people? Do you have an incentive program? Do you have a, a, a punishment if they're late or an incentive if they're ahead? Or is it just by the hour, by the job? How do you how do you handle multiple contractors and, and compensate them in a way that 
aligns everybody to the overall goal? Most of it's per job. So we, we do have kind of a goal in mind. Each project's different. I would love to say that we can be in and out, closed, closed as in we've sold it and closed the deal within 90 days. However, we know that some projects are longer than others. So some, some may not take that long or some may take longer. So that being said, we, we, we typically have, okay, what's the job cost? So, so they're going to come in and estimate the job. We're going to say, hey, it's going to be X amount of dollars. Um, I prefer to stay on the labor side. So what is labor? I just want to know about labor. Um, and, then I, and then I take care of the, the cost of materials. As far as that goes, we, 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 we get that taken care of right away. And then we, we say, okay, well, we think it's going to take this amount of time. And we try to incentivize if you have an on-time delivery, basically. So if it's done, cleaned, ready to go, ready to list by the time the date that we, we agreed upon is, then they, they'll get you know something extra. If it's beyond that, it depends on what has come up. So there are unforeseen circumstances or we have change orders. Just like if you're doing a new build, we have change orders. I mean, we might decide, hey, we're going to finish the basement. Well, if you're going to finish the basement, it's not going to take uh, what we initially thought it had. So we take that in consideration. Sure. Not that we're laxed beyond, by that. Uh, we still try to hold everyone's feet to the fire, but we do want to be understanding. All right. So if you have five jobs going, do you have five different individual parties responsible for each job? Or is there one guy or two guys responsible for multiple jobs? How do you structure that? So we have typically, I would consider them two, two different companies. So I have one company that, that will do typically one job at a time. And then I have another company that will sub out several jobs at a time. That's the way we have it structured right now. It seems to work well. That way we have several people that are kind of quote unquote responsible for several jobs, even though I guess I would be the person that would make the ultimate decision. I don't have to be the person that they come to every single time. What do you love about investing in real estate, doing flips, doing multiple flips at a time? How long have you been doing this and what, what drives you? Sure. So I, I got into real estate in 2007 and uh, I, I tell this story because it means a lot to me and, and I feel that people do need to hear about the bad, the good and the bad. So 2007, I got into real estate. Uh, I flipped my first house in the middle, probably, or towards the end, probably uh, 2008 hit and the market crumbled. So first house I, I did, uh, I lost money on. I didn't give up though. So I kind of, I kind of changed my course and um, I was young and single. So I, I decided to buy a house, work on it um, as I lived in it and then flip it. So I did a few of those. I think it took a few to gain my money back what I had lost. So I did that. And then I actually was in corporate world retail. I was in sales. Um, I was in customer service retail. And then I flipped houses on the side for quite a few years. And then I actually went full time in 20, 2020, the virus hit. Um, I actually was laid off of my, my position at work and I had a flip going and I loved it. So I was, my wife and I talked and 
we just decided let's just do it let's try it full time it's probably not the best time to try it and it worked though and and then i kind of started to scale from there i i started slow and then i i could i kind of thought well maybe i can do two at a time and then i thought maybe i can do three at a time and then i kind of scaled it from there i i guess a why why do i do it uh a big thing for me is that you have multiple different mouths to feed multiple different people that you help so when you go when you go buy the house typically you help whoever's selling it and then whether you buy it directly from them or you buy it from a, a realtor you're going to help help them as well and then you have the contractors so you're helping the contractors and then you, you whoever you're buying all of your supplies from you're giving them business so i like to see it as it's not just like i said before it's not just a you and the profit it's you're helping all these people and all these people matter in in selling a house and buying a house so for me that's a big thing you know even if i don't make what i want to make you can still feel good about it because you 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 helped all these people and you you gave someone a great house so that that's kind of what drives me you know, I, a lot of that resonates with me. I've done, I did a lot of flips part-time as I was uh, maturing professionally. And I always wanted to be a full-time real estate investor like you are now. What you're doing now was kind of my vision for my myself all growing up in my early 20s and late 20s. And I did a master of science in real estate development because I wanted to be a real estate investor. I got a job as a realtor so I could do my own flips. And I did a few flips and, and then my career kind of went a different direction. But I admire and envy what you're doing very much. And like you said, the entire real estate transaction, people benefit all the way through it. I, ha I have this little joke that I don't think real estate investors should pay any taxes because they create so much economic value. Now, people don't agree, but you know, I don't think you should pay taxes. I think you've created so much economic you know, activity throughout the life cycle that there's a lot of, a lot of like you said, mouths that are fed, a lot of people that benefit from that. How many deals do you think you can scale to safely while still maintaining a presence on every job every day? Asking me today, probably somewhere between 30 and 40. Is that your goal? Is that your vision? My, my goal is definitely 30. 30 a, a year or 30 at a time? Oh, I'm sorry. No, 30 a year. 30 to 40 okay, a okay, year, okay, not, okay. not a time. No, I wouldn't be able to Got do it. 30 at a time. <laughs> but, um, I, I think you could still do between 8 and 10 and still visit each site and keep your hands on it. Um, you'd probably, I would probably have to set things up maybe a little bit differently. And that way you have more people that are responsible. Um, but yeah, probably eight, eight to 10 at a time I would be comfortable with. You know, when you're, when you're considering growth in a business, you go from, you know, obviously like you said, you start small, you start at one, then two, and then all of a sudden you got five or six. But running a company that where you're flipping 10 to 15 houses at a time is a different company than running five or six at a time. I don't think one is better than the other inherently, but they're just different. So what, what really comes into play there when you're trying to envision your business model growing or, or staying where it is, and I'm going through this with Finley Capital right now because right now I'm doing 10 to 20 loans a month. That's different than doing 200 loans a month. It's a different company, right? And so... I'm trying to figure out what the right route is for my business. And I'm sure you are analyzing what's right for you. If I think if you went from five deals at a time to 10 deals at a time or 15 deals at a time, 
there's going to be a layer of uh, management in between you and the deals, right? You're going to have to bring in some people to replace what you do, at least to some extent. There's a scale there. There's there's marginal increase in value there, but there's also a different set of headaches and you have a, a quality control potentially, you know, at risk. So I would love to see where you go. But I for the average Joe listening, I think the f- five or six deals at a time is a lot. That's a lot of revenue. It's a lot of profit. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of hassle. It's a lot of oversight. But I think it's manageable for somebody who is capable to multitask and has that kind of personality where you want to be doing multiple things at once like you and I do, right? I've never I've never had anywhere near five or six flips at once going in my local market, but I think that would be a heck of a way to make a living. So like I said, I, I admire what you're doing. And I, I want to continue to be involved. Hopefully, Finley Capital can continue to be involved supporting this this scale. But what I worry about, not worry about, uh, one of the things that, that you got to consider when you scale, other than in organizational infrastructure, is you got to make sure that you're not over leveraged. And that's one of the other things that I really admire and respect about you, Rob, is that you do not over leverage with your private lenders. You a lot of times you do all the renovations before you ask for your draws. You put, you know, you put money down, you put good amounts down, and you put yourself in a position where you're minimizing your capital cost just from how much you borrow and versus how much you use yourself. And that's another lesson that a lot of investors just do not understand. When you use your own capital to fund your deal or more of your own capital to fund your deal, you're effectively giving your own capital a better return. If you have 50 grand that you put into your own deal versus zero that you put into your own deal, that 50 grand is getting a return on that deal instead of borrowing it from somebody else and paying them 10, 12% interest on that deal so you can keep your money at zero in the bank. It doesn't make any sense. And at the end of the day, you're responsible for that money anyway. So you might as well invest it into your own deal and get the return by lowering your capital costs, which increases your overall profit, right? Is that part of what you do or why you do it? Yeah. I mean, and the big thing is I think that you, you you have especially when I'm I'm going through FEMA Capital, and and I'm I'm invested. Uh, if I'm putting X amount down, you know that is my motivation to get it done in a timely basis to get it on market and get it sold. Same thing for the other deals. I, I'm personally vested into the other deals. My motivation is to 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 keep the cash flowing to continue to to get the projects done on time. I think when if you were to go in, like you said, you want to do a deal where you have zero dollars invested, and if the deal goes south, you you don't have as much motivation as you do when you have a lot of money invested. I couldn't agree more. From the lender standpoint, especially, we want the borrowers to have more skin in the game, so they have that incentive to finish the deal. And 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 frankly, just I I just think it's good to have your own capital in your own deal because you're basically investing in yourself. And people really, a lot of times when people analyze term sheets or they look at cost of capital or, or leverage, and I have people always asking me for more and more and more leverage. You know, can you go 85? Can you go 90? Can you go 100? And I keep thinking to myself, no, <laughs> but even if I did, you're basically just sharing more of your profit with the deal with your lender when you could be keeping it in your own balance sheet if you just leveraged your own capital a little bit further. I love to invest in myself. And I, anytime I do a deal, I try to, you know, borrow as little as I can because I'd rather have my capital in the deal because it's a profitable deal. Otherwise I wouldn't be doing it. It's a good operator. Otherwise I wouldn't be doing it. Those kind of things. So you got to believe in yourself when you're doing this. You have some experience now. You've been doing this full time for over three years now. You you started in the middle of COVID because you're crazy, but I'm sure it's worked out because that was a really good time in the market. 
What would you, what advice would you give somebody listening who wants to get to where you are? Maybe they're doing one deal at a time, but they want to get to two, three, four, five. What would you suggest they do to, to safely scale to that level? There's a couple different things and I would just taking from my own experience. One is, is be patient. If you're patient and you're doing it correctly and you're, you're hiring good people and you're surrounding yourself with good people all the way around, getting deals from good people, hiring good contractors a good realtor, good closing offices, getting your capital from good people. I would say be patient and get the right people around you. And and as you do that, typically as long as you you put the effort and the time into it, it'll organically grow as much as you as much or as little as you want it to. If you want to go from 1 to 5, if you surround yourself with the correct people and you stick with your timelines, your budgets, and you're easy to work with, then then people will 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 flock to you eventually. You can grow it that way. Because if you're if you're a hard person and you're hard on everybody, and um, you're trying to grow too fast, it's gonna it's gonna wind up biting you. So patience is a big thing, I believe. All right, everybody. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, everybody. Go get them. Thanks, Logan.